John, one of the last living disciples that walked with Jesus, was living in exile on an island called Patmos. One day, God gave him a vision, commanding him to write letters to seven different churches. John also saw a series of mysterious and symbolic scenes. He saw a door open into heaven, and he was swept up into it. He saw a throne with someone sitting on it. In front of the throne, he saw a lamb looking as if it had been killed. Lightning flashed from the throne and thunder clapped. People and creatures surrounding the throne all fell down and worshiped the lamb. And thousands of angels circled the throne and said in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Every creature in heaven and on earth gave praise to the lamb and to the one seated on the throne. Next, John saw every person who ever lived standing in front of the throne. A book called the Book of Life opened up. Anyone whose name was not in the Book of Life was thrown into a lake of fire. But for all those whose names were there, something amazing awaited. John saw a bright and shining city descend from the sky. A loud voice told him this was where all of God's people will live and that God will live there among them forever. God will wipe away every tear and there will be no more death, crying, or pain. A river as clear as crystal flowed from the throne of God through the middle of this great city. Next to the river stood the tree of life, which healed the world from every wrong, making all things perfect. Then Jesus himself, standing with John, said, Come, let those who are thirsty come. Let all who wish take a free gift of the water of life. Free gift of the water of life. We got some feedback again. Been having fun with these mics lately. <laughs> oh, so the title of my message this morning is uh, "He's a Home Run Hitter," and so um, just want to start out um, telling you a story about a swimmer uh, in 1932. A swimmer by the name of Florence Chadwick stepped into the Pacific Ocean just off the coast of Catalina Island. Sorry, I'm having a... It's actually the first sermon I preached without my grandpa here. So... But, yeah, just like Dave said, he's in a cloud of witnesses this morning by that river of living water racing from his throne. Mm. Uh. Anyways, Florence Chadwick stepped into the Pacific Ocean just off the coast of Catalina Island. She was determined to swim to the mainland of California. She had already been the first woman to swim the English Channel. 
On this particular day, it was very cold and very foggy. It was so foggy she could barely see the boat that was accompanying her during her swim. For 15 hours she swam. Several times during her swim she begged those that were in the boat to take her out of the water, including her mom who was there in the boat. But her mom kept saying to her, keep on, keep on. You can make it. You can do it. Finally, after she had no more energy to go on, she just, kept, she just quit swimming. Then those in the boat had to lift her out of the water and into the boat. It was only then that she saw and realized how close she was to the shore. The next day at the press conference, she said to the media, was this, all I could see was the fog. If I could have seen the shore, I know I could have made it. All I could see was the fog. I know if I could have seen that shore, I would have made it. The goal of this message this morning is that we're able to see through the fog to the shores of heaven. So with the story, we saw we started out in chapter 1 in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And their story was united with God until Adam and Eve decided they didn't want God to write their story. And they wanted to write their own story. And from that moment, there was a separation in the story. And since then, human beings have been trying to write their own story. We've seen, though, with God, he is always writing what? He is writing a redemptive story, calling us up to him, communicating himself to us. Until that moment when God sent his son into the world from the upper story into our lower story to show us what it looks like to live an upper story life in the lower story. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead so our sins could be forgiven. So we could look forward to that day when the two stories are reunited again in eternity. I can look forward again one day to be reunited again with the loved ones that have gone before us. Reunited with my grandpa in heaven in eternity. Revelations 21 describes this as the greatest marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Some of you may be thinking that when you read the book of Revelation, I feel like Florence Chadwick in the water swimming for 15 hours in the fog, and you just can't see the shore, feeling flat out lost and confused by some of the images and stuff going on there. And maybe, or maybe you're in the boat, and you can see the shore, so maybe you do understand some things of Revelations, but not quite everything yet. Or maybe you're on the shore. That's where my grandpa is. He's on the shore. And he has a complete understanding of Revelation. So if you're on the shore, you must be on heaven's glory. But since most of us here this morning are in the first two categories, 
I sometimes wonder, what in the world was John eating that day before he went to bed? To have all these pictures of colors and interesting creatures and sounds all in a world, what is, what is going on here? I do want you to know the purpose of the book of Revelation is not to confound you or to confuse you. It is to encourage you and to reveal to you. The theme of the book of Revelation is actually really simple. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And everybody who is on Jesus' team wins. You know, I could have stayed in that moment this morning that when Clarissa was singing, Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. She just kept singing that over and over again. Jesus never fails. Every time she said those words, I felt a new release from heaven of encouragement. Jesus never fails. Jesus wins. You win when you're on Jesus' team. So what does that look like when you play on a winning team? Well, I can tell you this. My daughter, been helping coach with a softball team. She plays for the Angels at Method American Little League. And um, Ella is a, is a power hitter. And she's hit a few in-park home runs. And so now when she comes up to the bat, most of the girls, you know, with girls softball, they have all their little cheers and stuff that they do. Well, one that they do for when Ella comes up to bat is she's a home run hitter. And you're never going to get her. So give it up. So give it up. But I want to tell you this morning, Jesus comes to the plate for you. And the enemy has been throwing those curveballs of life. Those things of life. And I want you to, to know this morning that Jesus, he's a home run hitter. And the enemy's never going to get him. So you better give it up. So give it up. He's always hitting that home run in every circumstance that we go through. So when the apocalyptic dust has settled, make sure you're standing with Jesus on Jesus' side. That's the message of the book of Revelation. And, then I, and I hope that you get that here today and are encouraged by that. The place to begin is to simply understand the first verses in Revelation. Who's the book of Revelation about? Revelations 1.1 says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angels to his servant John. What does it say here? It's a revelation of and from Jesus Christ. The word here in the Greek in the original language is a genitive, which means Jesus is not just the giver of the revelation. He is also the subject of the revelation. It is a revelation of and from Jesus. Notice it's not the 
cover-up of Jesus Christ. It's not the mystery of Jesus Christ. It's not the confusing story of Jesus Christ. It's like a blanket over a masterpiece has been taken off, and now we see more clearly. The first question that you want to ask when you are confused while reading the book of Revelation is, what does this reveal about Jesus Christ? Because the book of Revelation is about who? It is about Jesus. Second question you want to ask is, who is the audience? It's for the servants of God to be encouraged. Now, servants in the book of Revelation are also referred to as faithful witnesses. In fact, it's all set up by Jesus by being the first faithful witness described in Revelations 1.5. And from Jesus, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Then with John, who is the first one to be given this revelation, he's described as a faithful witness. John here is about 80 years old. And imagine, you're John on the island of Patmos, and he has lived a faithful life following Jesus, serving Jesus, leading for Jesus. What was his reward at 80 years old? All of his friends have been martyred. And the Roman emperor has tried to kill John according to a tradition of boiling him alive in oil. But kind of like the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it didn't even affect him. It didn't even touch him. The emperor didn't know what to do with him. So the emperor banished him with all the other enemies of the state to the item island of Patmos. John's reward here for being a faithful servant of Jesus is banishment to the island of Patmos. He's a faithful servant experiencing tribulation for the what? Testimony of Christ and his faithfulness to his word. In the second chapter, the church is encouraged for being faithful witnesses. Be faithful in death, and you'll receive what? The crown of life, it says in Revelations 2.10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulations ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Do you know what the word witness means? In the Greek, and since I can't pronounce it, I'm going to play it for you. I'll try to put it close enough to my mic here. Martyrs. Does that sound familiar? It's the word in which we get martyr. Do you know what a witness is? Someone who believes in what they're testifying, that they're willing to die for it. 
to put their life on the line for it. That's John here. That's Jesus here. That's the New Testament Christians that Jesus is revealing himself to. You be faithful unto death, and you will receive what? A crown of life. You play like you're on the winning team, even though it may cost you your life, and great will be your reward. Now again, let's admit, the book of Revelation is not always easy to understand. It's written for people who like symbols and different artistic things at times and numbers. But what did Jesus say and what did he mean? Why didn't Jesus just give us a cliff note version of Revelation to help us understand it? But again, imagine you have to see it from John's perspective. Two questions you want to ask yourself if you get confused about the book of Revelation is what what does it say about Jesus? And here John is asking, what does this help John? How does this help you as a believer? John is the first audience. Also, the New Testament Christians are the first audience here. This was a revelation of Jesus to help them not to confuse them. It wasn't a book that was hidden to them. I believe, actually, they actually understood it all. I believe it was actually encouraging to them. The question becomes, how was this helpful to John? Imagine you're going through the pain that John is going through. What's most encouraging to you? Would the most encouraging thing to you be someone coming along and saying, hey, let me tell you five reasons why you should be encouraged. Or someone saying, let me speak to you five sermons that will help you live a better life and be more encouraged. Would that be more helpful to you in this this time? No. I think... Christ saw here that John needed to hear a good story. A story of redemption. A story where in the end you receive the crown of life. A story where you overcome and how it's worth it all. That's what helps you find encouragement in those times that you need to overcome. Haven't you ever watched one of those inspirational movies or stories and afterwards you're like, I want to do that. Or a coach tells you an inspirational story when you're down as a team and what you need to do as a team and how to come together to obtain victory. A moment of encouragement to overcome. That's basically what the book of Revelation is. Allow it to be where God gives the a whole series of stories that Jesus gives to John to encourage him on the island of Patmos. You be faithful until death, and you will win, and you will receive a victor's crown. For instance, in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, Jesus addresses the seven churches, 
which applies to all the churches, and he deals with them like the instance he deals with their temptations. What would, look, what would it look like if you're dealing with temptations when you're on the winning team, not on the losing team? It would look like this. He's a home run hitter, and you're never going to get him, so give it up. So give it up. When you're on the winning team and not on the losing team, Jesus is always the home run hitter. Jesus goes through and describes a number of temptations that was facing the church. False teaching on sexual immorality. Promising victory, but it was a false victory. Temptation of legalism. Temptation of being phony and having a reputation of being alive, but you were truly dead inside. Temptation of tolerating sin. That's a hard one. There's times we just tolerate it. Temptation of losing your first love. All these temptations, how do you overcome those temptations? Well, I could give you five different lessons on what not to do. You know what? The message of Jesus is you need to read all of chapters 2 and 3 here. I encourage you to take time to read these chapters 2 and 3. Because out of that, all of this trouble, all of this temptation of the lower story, then you turn to chapter 4, and it shows you a picture of the upper story. And it says, worthy is the lamb who was slain. All this trouble you're going through in the lower story, all these temptations, John, keep your eyes fixed on the upper story and that reality. You are on the winning team. Jesus is a home run hitter. He's never going to get him. So give it up. So give it up. With your healing in your body. Jesus is a home run hitter. Give up the sickness. And give it up. And give it up. Whatever you're going through, whatever temptation you are going through in your life, give it up. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. When you, talk to, when you talk to people that are going through addiction and you ask them about overcoming addiction, they'll tell you that the key isn't about white-knuckling it and saying, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop. Yeah, you, have to have that, you do have to make that decision, but you don't hold on to that. If you only hold on to that, you will fail. You can't just sit there and say, I'm not going to smoke anymore. I'm not going to look at porn anymore. I'm not going to lie anymore. Or me in this last season, I'm not going to eat like that anymore. I had to make a decision that I wasn't going to do that anymore, but that had to be the end of that. From that point on, I had to what? I had to focus on 
what is good. What is the good food that I need to eat and I need to begin to take into my body? And like each of us in a spiritual sense, Savannah said this to me this morning. Now I understand it, Savannah. She said she was blessing her food this morning. And then God revealed to her, don't just bless your physical food, but bless the spiritual food that you are taking into your body. Likewise, you have to focus on what is good and bless it and bring it into your body. Jesus said, John, don't focus on your temptations. You focus on worship. What if every time when you are tempted, you just worshiped Jesus? Jesus, you're my strength. Jesus, you're my Lord of all. Jesus, you're a home run hitter, and they're never going to get you. So they better give it up. They better give it up. What if, you're, what if when you're going through that temptation, you say, I am not on the losing team. I'm on the winning team. So I'm going to play like I'm on the winning team. Then Jesus goes on to say to John, you be faithful when you're facing hardship. You can face hardship when you're on the winning team. Jesus says this, you're going to face hardship. Ever since Jesus walked on the face of the earth, he told his followers that you would face trouble. Peter and John were told, don't preach Jesus. What'd they do? They preached Jesus. And what happened? They were put in prison. Stephen was stoned. James was beaten and beheaded. And the early church of Jerusalem was scattered abroad by persecution. What did Paul tell Timothy? All that live godly lives in Christ will what? Suffer persecution. Now after 80 years of faithful service to Jesus, John's reward is suffering at Patmos. Rejection, loneliness, isolation. How do you respond? You be faithful when the opposition increases. The world likes to take pot shots at Christians, doesn't it? They like to say that we're narrow-minded, not accepting, not loving, that we're backwards thinking. Now, I agree, the church has made some mistakes over the years, if we're honest. But what's the real reason the world doesn't like the church? What's the real reason? It's the same reason that they crucified Christ in the first place, isn't it? Never forget what Jesus said in John 3, 19 through 20. And this is the verdict. The light has come into the world, but men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. Jesus is saying to John in the book of Revelation, John, the world increasingly loves darkness. And don't be surprised. Don't be overcome 
when they reject you as well. So then what does Jesus do? He gives John pictures to encourage him and to to overcome. In Revelations 2.10 it says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Notice a couple things here. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it, does he? He says, don't be afraid, but you are going to suffer. You will suffer a 10-day type of prison. One thing in the book of Revelation is it likes numbers. That's one of the things. And I don't want you to get confused by the numbers. Don't make them literal at times, but treat them as they're supposed to be as figures in the book of Revelation. If an example would be, be the same thing as me saying to you right now, I'll be back in a minute. I'll be right back. I'll be back in a minute. Now, does that mean Michelle Wolf pulls out her stopwatch <laughs> and clicks it and watches till that 60 seconds and I don't return till 90 seconds? And Michelle goes, hey, You didn't keep your promise. You said you'd be back in a minute. No, that's not what it meant. What did I mean when I said that? When I was saying that, I was giving Michelle assurance that I was going to be back and you could count on it. It didn't literally mean that I was going to be back in 60 seconds. In the book of Revelation, numbers are the used to communicate a message. If I say to you, you're going to be in prison for 10 days, how does that make you feel? I know for one fact, I don't want to be in prison for one day, let alone 10 days. It's that one of the reasons a lot of times we get overwhelmed by circumstances in our life because they feel like they're going to last forever, right? It says here, John, you need this perspective. This isn't going to last forever. What you are going through right now is not going to last forever. The suffering you're experiencing, it may last 10 years. It may last 10 days. It may last 10 minutes. Or it may last 20 years. But understand, it's only a 10-day type of suffering. Some of you need to hear that this morning because you're saying, I can't handle this forever. I can't go through this forever. I can't wear these masks forever. Some of you need to hear that. Well, it's not going to last forever. It's a 10-day type of suffering. And someday, and you just have to endure and be faithful. John, you will suffer, but it's a 10-day type of suffering. Keep it in perspective. It's not for eternity. Be faithful unto death. You will receive a crown. Suffering doesn't last, but the crown of salvation, what? Lasts forever. It can never be taken away. They can't hurt you. 
They can never take away your relationship from Christ. They cannot take away your reward. You will overcome. Jesus is a home run hitter. And you're never going to get him. So give it up. Revelations 11.3 says, And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. What's it saying here? Whose team? That question. Whose team are they on here? What team are these guys on? Well, Jesus says they are what? My witnesses. So clearly they're on Jesus' team. They are witnesses, and we've seen that word before. These are people who are faithful even to the point of death. They will prophesy clothed in sackcloth. If you were in the first century, you would recognize right away what this means. What do you think sackcloth means here? They're preaching repentance. You wore your sackcloth when you're repenting. Preaching repentance. Now, some of you might say, what do I do with the 1,260 days or the three and a half years? Let the context define itself. Don't get worked up about the numbers. John would say, I identify with those two witnesses. I've been prophesying repentance, but have been rejected for it. This is my story. So speaking to John. Revelations 11, 4 through 6 says... They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouth and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who harms them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have the power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague and often, as often as they want. These guys are truly on Jesus' side. They have Jesus' power here. They can't be harmed. But what happens here? Revelation eleven seven. Now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them and kill them. Well, wait a minute. It says that anyone that will harm them will die in the verse before that. But now this beast comes up and kills them. What happened? I thought they were on Jesus' side. Isn't that a question that we as Christians ask at some point? When you're under, oppre- under oppression? God, where are you? You said you'd protect us. You said you'd empower us. You didn't. God, I prayed for that person for healing and they died. What happened? Everyone's asked those type of questions at times. You're asking the wrong question. The story wasn't over. With God, the story is never over. With God, with Jesus, he's a home run hitter. And they're never going to get him. So give it up. So give it up. What happens 
In Revelations 8 and 9 here, their bodies would lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom in Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. So three places here are identified with evil of the losing team. Sodom, the place got destroyed due to sexual sin. Egypt, the place where Pharaoh hardened his heart and abused God's people. And Golgotha, where the enemies killed Jesus. But what happens here in Revelation 9? For, the, for three and a half days, some of every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other's gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who lived on the earth. How did they torment them? By calling them to repentance. In Revelations 11, 11 through 12 comes the home run. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. They stood on their feet, and terror struck, struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud where their enemies looked on. And suddenly the enemies realized, Oh, we're on the wrong team. We realize that Jesus is truly a home run hitter. And we're never going to get him. So we just better give it up. We better give it up. So I declare that in each of your lives this morning. Jesus is a home run hitter. And the enemy's never going to get him. So just give it up. Endure. Receive your crown of life. Receive what he's given to you. I encourage you this morning, right now, if there's things going in your life, I'm going to play a song. And I want you to listen to the words of the song. So if you need healing in your body, if you need breakthrough in finances, if you need breakthrough through an emotional event that's going on in your life, if you just need that to be released in your life, I'm going to play Every Victory. It's a song that has been in my life this last season. It's been really powerful. And it's by Danny Gokey. And it's called Every Victory. So take the things right now, I encourage you, and say, Jesus is a home run hitter. And they're never going to get him. So give it up as you listen to this song. Go ahead, David.
have everybody stand for a second. And David, will you put that baseball cheer back up for me? Let's say this together. Because Jesus is what? He's a home run hitter and you're never going to get him. So give it up. So give it up. Jesus is a home run hitter in your life. He's a home run hitter. And you have that crown of victory. In your name, amen. Pastor Dan. Nice to know that, facing the unknown in the future, all the way through the book of Revelation and beyond, where we are uh, in, in union, in spiritual union with the home run hitter who loves us so very, very much. That's such great news. Thank you, Jeremiah, and thank you, God, for giving us the book of Revelation. We love you. God loves you. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next time. Amen.